everybody, and welcome to another True Stories of Tinseltown. Hope everybody is fine and dandy. I'm fine and dandy, and I'm very fine and dandy indeed, because I have a wonderful guest for everybody today. His name is Bert Kearns, and he wrote a fabulous book on someone I was just talking to about this guy, and I will tell you about it. Lawrence Tierney, Hollywood's real-life tough guy. Hi, Bert. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. I am great, and I really enjoyed the book. And I happen to say, I have to say, I am a fan of Lawrence Tierney. He was a b- b- bad boy, everybody. Really b- 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 bad. I don't know that he was bad to the bone, but he was b- 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 bad. I don't think he was bad to the bone. Do you? Uh, he was bad to the bone. You do think he, he was be, bad to the bone? <laughs> he, 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 could, he could be bad to the bone. Yeah, yes. I had empathy for him. This is so funny, so... I heard from Meredith three days after my friend Stone Wallace and I were, he did a book on George Raft, and we became friends from him coming on the show, and we were doing our spooktacular, and he told me about a book coming out on Lawrence Tierney, because I had mentioned that I had seen Lawrence in Ghost Ship and how adorable he was. He was the cutest thing ever. And he said, guess what? Someone's writing a book. And I said, oh, wow, can't wait. And I said, I'm going to have to find out who it is so I can ask him to come on the show. And then three days later, ka-ching, ka-ching, Meryl, Mer- uh, she got in touch with me. Meredith got in touch with me. Isn't that something? That's great. I know. Because I was so, and, phew, I don't have to bother to look. And they came to me. And it was just funny, weird timing and coincidental and perfect. And you wrote a book. Uh, Bert was just telling me that he wrote a book about, what's the name of the death thing? And you weren't able to come on the show. Um, oh, the show won't. The show won't go on. Yeah, it was one of a spooktacular. Tell everybody what's yeah. about. It's good. About performers who died on stage. My co-author Jeff Abraham was on. Yes, it was fun. He was great. He was really yeah. good. We had fun. Next time your other book comes out, we'll do it. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> that's just a roundabout, gee, small world kind of thing. So <laughs> weird. Anyway. We're going to talk about Lawrence Tierney and your book, which was very fascinating, interesting. And I have to say, you know, I don't hate Lawrence. I I still like him. (laughs) Yeah, Lawrence Lawrence was, you know, is a tragic figure, but at the same time, in many ways, you know, heroic. For people who don't know who Lawrence Tierney was, he was um, an Irish kid from Brooklyn who worked as a model, did some stage work in New York, and then was, quote, discovered by RKO Pictures in 1943 and brought to Hollywood with great promises that he was they were going to make him a star. And they put him in a bunch of little films for a couple of years. They didn't do anything with him at all. Uh, one, of the, one of the films he was in was The Ghost Ship, where he had a, 
a supporting role, but really stood out. He was funny. Great death scene. You're uh, very memorable in that. That death scene is one of the most memorable without, you know, being like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like yeah. that. That People death scene. It on, it, it's on YouTube. It's, you know, it's, you, could, you could see it where he's, he is killed underneath the, Thanks the, for the, that the, picture. Anchor, the anchor chains on a ship. He was adorable. Um, I, he's just on for like, what, yeah. a couple of minutes? He ta- has yeah. authority. <laughs> it's just a good and, movie. It's a Val Luton and, movie. Yeah, and he, and he was funny. And Val Luton is the one who gave him uh, a, a lot of work, you know, in these small parts. Because Val Luton said, "I recognize you from somewhere," and it turned out he recognized him from the Sears catalog because Lawrence Tierney had done some modeling when he was younger. <laughs> I know those underwear. Oh. That's you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> those socks. But, but, yeah. But what happened with, with, with Lawrence is he, on his own, he read in the paper that an independent studio was doing a movie about the gangster John Dillinger. Mm-hmm. And he, on his own, walked up, went up to the went up to the offices of the studio. When the secretary was looking the other way, he grabbed a script, learned a scene, went in, did the audition, and got himself the role. And RKO rented him out, said fine, rented him out for $100 a week. They didn't really care about Lawrence Tierney. Well, the movie came out, and he was what is known as an overnight sensation. He became a, a, a leading man, an overnight star. But by playing this this gangster, he was a tall, scary, good-looking, handsome, tough guy on Irish screen. guy from Brooklyn. Just a really, really, he had charisma, big time. You Look, know, really. A good, a good actor. Yes, he and was. Three weeks after the movie comes out, it didn't make the papers, but Lawrence Cheney was arrested for being drunk. Uh, a week after that, he was arrested again. <laughs> there <laughs> were three arrests within, within a month. And before you knew it, Lawrence Tierney had been uh, basically drank and fought his career away by about 1951. That, that was it. It's so um, sad. But um, he was from Brooklyn. He was yeah. an athlete. He was the oldest of three boys. And um, they also became actors. We'll talk about that a little later. And, yeah. um, but he, his parents were both at alcoholics, correct? Yeah. And the, it, the his, thing... Go on. Uh, uh, I was going to say, the thing with Lawrence Tierney is uh, there, there's lots of stories of, you know, the Hollywood Babylon stories of actors and people who wind up in the gutter and, they're, you know, these, these horrible stories. But Tierney's story is different because he never gave up. Mm-mm. He kept going. There were always people that were giving him roles. And then in his later years, he was rediscovered when he was in his 60s. And by this time, he looked nothing. He was almost like a different actor. Uh, but he, he started appearing on television uh, on television shows like Hill Street Blues and Hunter and L.A. Law in the 1980s. He was in the movie Arthur. And then, <laughs> Who did he play uh, in Arthur? I'm trying to think. Uh, well, I haven't very, seen it in years. A small scene, but a very memorable scene. It was where this time Lawrence wasn't the drunk. Arthur was the drunk. <laughs> he comes into a diner where Liza Minnelli's character is working the diner. Right. And he's trying to propose to Liza Minnelli. But there's an old guy sitting next to uh, to um, Dudley Moore saying, where's my role? Give me my role. And they're like, shut up. Have your role. And it was a very funny scene. Uh, it, was the, it was the proposal scene in Arthur. How romantic. Um, but he did a lot of things. I was very surprised to see how much he worked in his later years. But let's get back to him and Dillinger and him. So how was he when he worked on Dillinger? Was he like a, was he easy to work with on that movie? Was he, you know, not drinking at that point? Nobody really knew anything about him. So I don't know if they were looking out for that, but how was he? Well, every, you know, he always claimed that he never drank on a picture. 
but his, his leading lady, Anne Jeffries, later told uh, a writer that while they were making that movie, that he would get drunk. And they were doing a scene once where they were on, a st- on a, some stairs. And he leaned over to her and he said, I'm going to throw you down the stairs. <laughs> and she looked at him and believed him. But there was a, a like a gaffer, a lighting man above them. And he said, if you do that, you know, I'm going to drop this light on your head. And then she said that basically you know, saved her from, from being pushed down the stairs by tyranny. So but she, he also had a, I'm sorry. a sense of humor. He had a sense of humor as well. Or looking uh, at the, the, the breadth of, of his life and his career, you can see where that's kind of a, a Larry joke. Yeah, which is kind of weird. But that, if you do and you read the book, you see he says some really outrageous things. But one thing I never really got from the book is that he, he beat up women. No, the thing about Lawrence Tierney was he was very much, he was very charming. When he wasn't drinking, he was charming. He could recite poetry. He could recite poetry in, in, in French. He knew <laughs> you know, the classics. He could speak Latin. And he managed to romance, you know, not, not, you know, not, not like, you know, women who were, who were um, starlets. He had a long romance with Gloria Vanderbilt. Uh, he had a romance with, you know, uh, Shelley Winters. And a lot of, you know, quote, society women in New York, because he was, you know, he was a bit scary. He was foreboding. But at the same time, he was very charming when he wasn't drinking. It was when he was drinking that the trouble began. Right. And that's really, you know, I, I'm not a I'm not a film expert. Uh, maybe I am now after, after this. But, you know, I didn't come in here as like a film noir lover. I'm a journalist. I'm a writer. I love good stories. And this, to me, was a great story because it's it's really it's it's a, a unique story of the underside of Hollywood that goes over seven decades from the forties into the two thousands. Amazing, uh, and like you said, he made it, and there's so much stuff. I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of it, but um, he is. It's a great. I'm glad you picked him because he's really fascinating. And no, he's you know you're not going to go into details about movies this that. You're going to get into his life behind the scenes, life what he did in his life, and which, yeah, which was more rollicking than any movie. It's funny. The way I got into this book was while I was doing research with Jeff on a sequel to the show, Won't Go On, going through newspaper articles, going through clips, and I find a story from 1951, and the headline says, Lawrence Tierney arrested for the 13th time. (laughs) I was like, whoa, let me me see this. And then I I read the story, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, 13, and... I did a little research and found out, now this wasn't the 13th time in 1951. This was like the 22nd time that he had been arrested. And then I remembered, I drank with him once. How cool. (laughs) Where were you? Well, there, there are a number of places in Hollywood that are these old places that were big in the 40s and, you know, Busso and Frank's, Bordner's. And one of them is called the Formosa Cafe. Uh It's a Chinese restaurant on Santa Monica Boulevard. And Lawrence Tierney, and you know, the act, it was next door to the to the Warner Brothers lot, the old Warner Brothers offices on Santa Monica Boulevard, and all the actors went there. Um, and Tierney used to hang out there in the forties. Well, in the early nineties, after the movie Reservoir Dogs came out, that Tierney was in, mm-hmm. you still had these old folks. These, you know, the the old guys were still hanging out there. But so was this new breed. You look over at one booth, and there's. Uh, Tim Burton, or there's Tarantino in the corner, and and, there, and there's Keanu Reeves. And mm-hmm. So the kids are there, and the old folks are there. So I'm sitting at the bar one, one afternoon after work, and I'd come over from the Paramount lot, and I sat down, and I recognized the guy next to me. I didn't really, didn't really, you know, ring as like, oh, this is a big celebrity. He's like, oh, I think that's that guy from Reservoir Dogs. And he looks at me and goes, how you doing? I'm Larry. Shook hands, and we had. <laughs> 
No brawls, no fights. Perfectly well mannered. <laughs> was this great old guy. I don't remember what we talked about. We both we both drank and uh, and and then it, it just I, it, it came back and I said, wait a minute, that's a, this is a great story to do. So I had a, a bit of a personal connection to it. How cool! And there was no fights. It was all very kumbaya and um, yeah, because yeah, you could see it. He he got along. The younger guys loved him. He had a lot of young friends. In his later life, and he, you know, and it made him feel good as well because he was like, "Yeah, kid, I can tell." You know what I mean? <laughs> Let me tell you, yeah. he was just like a cool guy, but still. Anyway, well, and that's and that's what on. happened. You know, he'd be at these he'd be at these bars. One of them is called Bordner's. It's it's on right off Hollywood Boulevard, and he'd be at the bar, and you'd have these young guys who are you know cinephiles or would would be screenwriters mm-hmm. and directors, and they'd say, "Wait a minute, that's Lawrence Tierney at the bar." You know, and he's the real deal. Well, the next thing you know, Lawrence Tierney's sitting at their booth. Uh, next thing you know, they're buying him drinks, and the next thing you know, he's sleeping in their apartment and he won't leave for, <laughs> for six months. He just he loved to do. do he was that. a trip. Yeah, he, so was he was a trip. You know, he was the real deal. He, he he wore out a lot of young people. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sure he wore out a lot of the older people yeah. <laughs> as well. But so he did Dillinger, and it was this big thing where they were saying like he's bad because he's just as bad as Dillinger. He's horrible. He's right. corrupting youth across the country. Right. All this stuff. Exactly. And and of course he he'd go into a bar because that's what he would do after work. Yeah, and a lot some, of people. Would, and somebody would go up to him and say, "Hey, Dillinger, you're not so tough, are you?" And, and then he'd punch the guy, or, or, or you know, people would people would want to challenge taunt him, taunt Dillinger. him about it. That's really got me. They're like, "Hey, yeah, tough guy. Yeah, you're so tough, see." And though, so we go, "Yeah, pump." Yeah. <laughs> but that, you know, that's and, terrible. That's that's a danger. Well, the other terrible thing was is that he would admit he'd say, "Look, I can't. When I drink, I can't control this. It's got the better of me." And he and he didn't he he didn't get any sympathy at all. It was always like every time he was arrested, it was Dillinger or the bad guy Dillinger as being the bad guy in real life. When a lot of these were you know cries for help, there was one arrest in 1952 at the a church in Santa Monica that was it was the church that was the basis for the movie Going My Way with Bing Crosby, uh-huh. uh, and um, he was he was arrested at six o'clock in the morning barefoot at the altar screaming that he had sanctuary and they were going to kill him the way they the way they had killed Robert Walker who had recently died. Oh but, yeah, poor guy. Thing. Yeah. And you know, they had to they had to put him in a makeshift straitjacket. They they brought him away. He wound up at an, an institution for a bit and then 3 weeks later he breaks out and is arrested in a bar. That was the 13th arrest where he said I'll whip anyone in the house here. They took him away. Anyway, he goes he winds up in court. And the judge says, you know, Lawrence Tierney, you know, you've been arrested. This is your, your 22nd arrest, and uh, it's time for you to, to go to jail for this, and this is, this is horrible. We can't keep having this. But if you promise never to drink again, I'll let you off on probation. And Tierney's like, sure, I promise. I'll never drink again. And this happened over and over again. So <laughs> I got whiplash. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like the next page. I promise. Uh, it would happen all the, all the time, you know, and then. Then the press would, would you know, the gossip columnists oh. loved it. Even when he wasn't working, Tierney was the bad guy. Oh, here, here he goes again. Yeah. The justice system let him down. The studios, you know, the, the, the RKO eventually let his contract go. Mm-hmm. But first they had a really unique way of, of, quote, curing him. They said, you know what? He plays bad guys in movies. We're going to cast him as a good guy in the next movie. That'll cure him. 
he'll he'll stop being a bad guy. Well, that, that didn't work either. Well, it's funny, you know, because all these people, the gossip columnists, oh, we're rooting for you, but they're not rooting for him. It's not, doesn't make good page copy to say, he's winning and he's drinking milk every day. He won't get any pages. Next thing you know, he gets into another fight. He gets arrested again. We're giving up on him. There he goes again. But, you know, it's copy. And, and, they know him, and he didn't. They didn't know how to treat alcoholics in those days, really. He did no. go to AA. He only went to jail one time, really, right, of any circumstance. It's only for a few months. Yeah, he had, he had like one 90-day sentence. He had a, he had a couple. In one, he, he sort of turned himself in quietly uh, when he was sort of off the radar a bit in the late 50s. Um, but he had that. He had one that was publicized where he was he was in jail at, at the quote drunk farm they they, they call the place uh, in in the early fifties. He uh-huh. did ninety days there, got a lot of publicity, um, and that that was about that was about it. But he did you know as I found he was in more than sixty motion pictures. He did more than thirty uh, television appearances, and he was arrested more than seventy five times over his career. Amazing. And how many do you think? Um, were, you know, I know he was, you know, it's like what comes before, the chicken or the egg. Do you think he was always, um, you know how alcoholism is, it can hit anybody. And if it's in your family, there are genetics, there are genes that can make it more likely that you would be a drug addict, there's depression, whatever. Do you think that he was mentally ill going into California to do these movies, or do you think the alcohol and his personality, it just sort of gradually, he became very mentally ill? There was mental illness on his mother's side of the family. There was alcoholism on both sides of the family. And the alcoholism, you know, struck all the members of his family. His, his brothers handled it much better uh-huh. than he did. They weren't taken, uh, you know, taken by it like he was. But also, there's a possibility, I think, that that he had a bit of a CTE because he was beaten and took so many beatings from strangers and police billy clubs I over agree. the years. And didn't his, you know, his grandfather, he was like a rough and tumble dude. And didn't he get knocked he, out by his grandfather when he was a kid? He got, he, he got knocked out by his grandfather. The grandfather died in a, in a, in a bar fight. Yeah. You know, one of the things that the, the his younger friends who were friends with him in the nineties told me, he said, Oh, he'd always ask, you know, women to come over and, you know, rub my head. And the women thought it was kinky and kind of funny. A harmless old man wants him to yeah. rub, rub his head. And then I, I interviewed a woman who, um, Larry lived with their their family when he showed up in New York back in the fifties when she was a teenager. Uh, she was a young girl, and Larry was probably in his you know forties, mid forties, early yeah. And and he would say he'd ask her to rub his head because he had terrible headaches. And she, as a as a teenager, attributed it to the alcoholism and the beatings he was taking. I agree. And I think that did have a lot to do with it. I think so too, because you know. If you get hit in the head, you can change your body, your brain chemistry can change, and so many things happen when you get all these. Look at football players, right? They when they get depressed, yeah. they kill themselves, hit them. I mean, look chest. at some of the photos. You look at some of the photos. Yeah, there, there, there was there was one very famous, you know, incident he had in 1958 where he took on two cops outside a uh, a bar on Sixth Avenue, and the cops just pounded him mm. with billy clubs. And then, of course, the daily news photographers waiting at the precinct to get the photos. Uh-huh. 
and they're like, "Uh oh, wait a minute." Uh, <laughs> so they had to say, "Well, you know, he was sort of he was like this when when we uh, when we found him, and you know, we had to had to hit him because he was going so crazy." Yeah, um, I agree with you. I'm with you on that. That 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 he got hit so often. That does a number. You don't. You know. Ouch! Really? Yeah, Just yeah. And I don't. I do feel that he was taunted many of the times. Wasn't he set up a couple times? And they got you know kind of set him up, you know, in a position where he would kind of go off. And well, they had the cameras there and things like that. Yeah. Well, the thing with with, with Tierney was he, he wasn't one of one of those like great catches for the police. Like let's let's get a celebrity like um like Robert Mitchum right when the police smoking some weed. Up. Yeah. With, with, with the weed, which is also interesting because Mitchum was signed to the same studio as was mm-hmm. Lawrence Tierney Leo Pictures when he was arrested for it was it was a, it was a drug bust a marijuana raid uh, in Laurel Canyon they arrested Mitchum and his and his friends there uh, it was later st- seen to be a setup by a, a certain police uh, officer a police sergeant who was in charge of that that squad but uh, when when Mitchum was arrested. Before his lawyer got there and told him to be quiet, he was talking to the pr- police as he was being booked, and he was saying things like, uh, "My career is over. That's it. This is it. Say goodbye. I'm never going to work again. This is terrible." And one cop says in front of the rest of the press, re- re- "Relax, Bob. We've got Lawrence Tierney's cell waiting for you." Um, but then what happened was Howard Hughes had taken over RKO, so instead of um, Doing kind of discipline or you know suspending uh, Mitchum for for this marijuana bust, he said, you know, what movies do we have in the can? Let's get it out right away and cash in on the publicity. And so Mitchum got much different treatment than Lawrence Tierney did, and, and Tierney never forgot that. He knew that he wasn't you know being treated the same way as some other people were. No, but the thing was that um, Lawrence was violent. His was violence, whereas this guy, even though it was a drug addict, but it didn't happen the same way for the women who he was found with. They, I, you know, they told, but they weren't they weren't potentially great stars or anything like that. But yeah. you know, it, it was just they knew he was bankable. They want I he, I believe that Lawrence got a lot of chances. I believe that they real they knew he was a good actor. He, I think he could have gone as far as he wanted to go had he not had this alcohol problem because he was really good and like you say he was smart he could do poetry he 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 loved classics he was in theater he did so many things and he was amazing but then that that was that side of him and he would always say i'm never going to drink okay we're going to do it again and then but where were they going to put him in jail is that going to help a guy who's an alcoholic you know there was there were several instances when going through newspaper clippings and articles saying that Kearney wanted to go to the meninger clinic uh, for treatment, uh-huh. uh, his brother was uh, Scott. His brother was the actor Scott Brady. Uh-huh. He changed the name from Tierney because it wasn't good to have the name Tierney as an actor when he when uh-huh. his brother came came to town. But uh, he, Lawrence never did that. And at one another point, he couldn't afford to go to the manager clinic. You know, he wanted he wanted help. He did a lot of white knuckle. Just you know, he, he'd go for a year without drinking, and then he would rely on Alcoholics Anonymous, and then he would slip. And they would say, "Oh, well, if you were, you know, if you had better moral character, you wouldn't slip." And then he would just binge, you know, mm-hmm. he, would, he, would, he would binge again, which was was very sad. It is, and but, unfortunately, a lot of people don't know what it is when you are an addict. And yeah, he was an addict. This was not something that, um, but he did, cha- you know, he didn't drink. Like you said, he could do it, but there were people who were always like spurring him on, have a drink, have a drink, have a drink, or oh, something, sure. and. Um, he did drink milk for a while, right? In some of the clubs, he would be seen with a glass yeah, of milk. 
you know, I see, he, but he would still go to the clubs, and I couldn't. I, that's, I guess that was just what you had to do. You know, it was like, why are you going? You know, why would you go to a bar and drink milk? Because you know, when, when, that's his when life. The temptation, the temptation is there, yeah. And, and but that's, yeah. that's what he did. And he couldn't be alone. You said in his book, he just didn't like to be alone. Yeah, that was that, that's another part of the alcoholism. I think another interesting thing you mentioned. You know, his stage work. He never made it to Broadway. He came close twice. You know, at one point he was fired from rehearsal because they said he was drunk. Another time he fought with he fought with the director, but he did a lot of work. You know, off Broadway and in the hinterlands, he was in in the play The Petrified Forest uh-huh. in a role Humphrey Bogart had had originated. He did um, he, he did a streetcar named Desire, uh, he, and he did um, another one. It was called The Last Mile that I think Spencer Tracy had originated. Yes, and he all the reviews he got compared him favorably to those actors. I mean, he was a very strong stage presence. Uh, he was, he was, and that's why I think no matter what trouble he got in, there was always somebody willing to give him another chance and you know, that wanted to work with him. Yeah, and he got into a lot of trouble. You were mentioning his brother, Scott Brady. He was five years younger than Lawrence, right? Yeah, and then the other Scott, one. Who was the other and brother? Other guy was 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 Ed Ed Tierney, who was about eight years, eight or nine years younger than than Lawrence. And they talk, and thing, go on. You know, Tierney came out. He made you know he made his way through Hollywood, and then his brother uh, his brother Gerard, who was who became Scott Brady, showed up. Lawrence uh, at the lot one day. Lawrence introduced him to a producer. He got a screen test, and the next thing you know, his younger brother is getting movie roles and his younger brother was, you know, an inch taller as they love to throw in his face, just just as, you know, just as, as handsome as, as his older brother. Uh, and you know, he started getting roles and people started treating him like, you know, the good tyranny. He was the good guy. But that's bad for both brothers, you know, because you get, you're judged by your brother and, and then they're playing their brother, the brother against his brother by saying, oh, he's younger, five years younger. He's taller. He's better looking. He's not a drunk. He's not going to beat you up. Like with everything. And, and, you know, when you're a sibling, look at, not that they were that. I'm just saying, if you want to go into dramatic things, we go to Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine. They were so exactly. close and they were sisters, but, you know, they started at the same time, but they were just bitter enemies. And in the beginning, Scott really um, was so grateful to his brother for helping him get the the parts that they... Yes. He, he always gave him credit. And, and remember, he did change his name from Tierney. He changed his name to Scott Brady, their younger brother. Who didn't have as much of an acting career? He he wasn't in, into acting as much as his older brothers were. Although Lawrence gave him a role as his brother in the movie The Hoodlum, mm-hmm. his name was was Ed Tierney. He changed his name to Ed Tracy, because you know to get work and not be associated with with Larry. Um, in the end, uh, Lawrence and his brother Scott had a a big falling out in the early '60s when their mother died. Their mother died uh, was was found dead in her mm-hmm. in her apartment. And people thought the, the family thought that it was a suicide, and that it, and they blamed Larry for it, and uh, that led to a twenty-year estrangement between Scott and Larry. But um, the whole point with that was, how do they know it was a suicide? Was it accidental? She was she was dying prior, right? She was in pain, had, and she she had a terminal illness when she died. 
She had just been a few weeks earlier released from the hospital from a heart attack. Uh-huh. She drank to go to sleep. She took sleeping pills. When the police showed up at, at the apartment where she was living with uh, the younger brother Ed, uh-huh. they found they found some uh, you know pills and alcohol in the room. So in the very first news reports, it said that it was uh, you know possibly a suicide. The family members you know who I spoke with said the family kind of agreed that no, it, it wasn't. A, she didn't leave a note. It wasn't a suicide. She just. You know, she she drank and, and took too many pills before she went to sleep, and she was ill. But still, they blamed Lawrence for all the you know the quote heartache that that he that he caused her. You know, that's not really fair, though. Um, no, it's not. Oh, not. Uh, no, it's not fair. No, to put that on, it's it's stressful to every mother who has a kid who's always in trouble. Yes, but yeah, he was, you know, he was arrested later that day. He was arrested later that day for being drunk in the street. Well, I'm and sure he was, felt a lot about his mother's death. Yeah, and but this is the one time that the police. And the press both showed some sympathy. They they said you know they said he he didn't show up for court the next day, and and they said look, officers, you know, his mother died, and he was really grieving for her, and and they they gave him a, that was one time they gave him a break. Yeah, I, it just seemed to be mean, and some maybe sometimes it was like a badge of honor that they arrested him or did something, you know, like yeah, I've arrested him, but mm-hmm. you know it wasn't fair to me in in so many ways. A lot of the things that they put on him because. Those brothers, yeah, they weren't as bad as Lawrence, but they did some pretty crappy things. Didn't one of the brothers, uh, Scott, got picked up driving drunk, right? Yep, he he yeah, he, he had that that issue. They, the the same police who raided um, Robert Mitchum's place did a raid on on Scott Brady's house later in Laurel Canyon, arrested him and, and a pal and two women for uh, allegedly having marijuana. But Scott said it was a setup, and he 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 did not hold back at all he he fought it and they were cleared they said you know this is this was a setup forget it and they they were, he had his name cleared in that case but yeah they you know the, the family had trouble i mean scott was a real ladies man he had a he had a, a lair in laurel canyon a lair i love that <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite words <laughs> yeah before he was uh before he got married and you know turned his life around there and became a, a family man but uh but yeah it was a you know when i, when I also when, when i speak to for instance, uh, Scott Brady's son, Tim Tierney, who w- w- helped me a lot. Yeah, he did. Yeah, the, the family story. Mm-hmm. He tell me, you know, he he tell me the the hurt that Lawrence caused the family. Because if I when I talk to young people who were young who met Lawrence in the eighties and the nineties, they've got all kinds of legendary stories. Oh, then Larry did this, and Larry, whoa, it was so crazy, and we were all so crazy. But he told the other side of you know the fact that you know people were hurt by him, and I had to remind him. I said. Do you ever stop and think and just kind of think that your fa- they, they achieve greatness? Lawrence Tierney achieved greatness. Scott Brady achieved greatness. They're a great acting family. And just like, you know, the Kennedys or anybody else, they had that bad side. But they, they, they did. They, they made a difference. And, and Lawrence Tierney in the end made a difference both in, in cinema and to the people that he worked with. Yeah, they loved him and they respected him for his work also people who knew him knew he was really could be so kind and gentle and sweet and to me he seemed that way and and you know people just pulling on you and he was like yeah i didn't want to be an actor i didn't want to be a sissy all the brothers were like sissy sissy this sissy that you couldn't be a sissy yeah so i'm no sissy i'm gonna flack you but um i i do think a lot of it had to do with uh, obviously that demon alcohol that really was his downfall but like you know we'll kind of get into a little later a little pretty soon but um 
he was something else. He really was. And I think, uh, what's it, Born to Kill with Claire Trevor? And I think that movie is is considered to be one of the best film noirs ever made. Yes, I mean, no one was was as evil and remorseless on screen. He was so good. He was so horrible. Oh, that one, and you know, and the, the devil thumbs a ride is is one of, one of my my favorites because you know he's he's funny in that as well, but just evil. I've never and seen that, was, that one. It's, that's where he plays. He he's picked up a, a, as a as a hitchhiker after committing a murder, and he winds up with a um, a traveling salesman and, and two women in a in a beach house. Uh, and he's the devil who thumbed a ride. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's, 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 I have to check. Great. Maybe you can find it on YouTube. I'll have to look for it. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So, but I know they wrote about him. He's real, he's evil, you know, because he had all the press about being arrested. And what they were writing about him in doing the role of Born to Kill, he's cold-hearted. They were sort of saying that's who he is in real life because he was, <laughs> but he wasn't. Right. He was a good actor. He, he Born he to Kill. He it. Yeah, and he resented it. He he hated that character of Steve Morgan because he said, "I'm not that person." You know, I, I wish I could do funny roles. I wish I could do something funny, uh, but they won't let me. You know, because I guess you know I'm, I'm too good at it. And and he he did resent resent the character because he said, I, "I'm not evil like that." He's not. But people that saw him thought that thought that he was. He was not evil, and you know the press went out of their way to say, yes, that's who Lawrence Tierney is, not a, a redemption. <laughs> you know, they yep. kind of pulled that and played that angle. And I thought that stunk, quite frankly. He never married. What do you think? Which is probably a really good thing, because he might have been married 35 times, but he never married. Do you think he ever came close? Uh, he did come He did come close uh, several times. He always felt that he just couldn't, you know, with his lifestyle and his interests, he couldn't support a family. But he also, at the same time, often talked about the fact that, well, what if I did have a family and I had and I had kids? Well, he did have a daughter, but he, you know, didn't acknowledge her. Um, you know, if I did have a family, would, would things have been different? But, but no, he, you know, he he was engaged several times in the 1940s and 50s to some socialites, mm-hmm. but he but he he never went through with it. And I think that was probably the best thing for him, because I don't think he, he would have done well in that picture. I don't think it was meant to be, unfortunately, for Lawrence. I just yeah. don't. But, you know, I, go on. I was saying, I, I didn't get the name of, of the woman, but one of Larry's friends from, from later in life said there was a woman that he had known earlier in life who came back into his life in the 1980s and wanted to marry him and said, you know, let, let, let's, settle, let's settle down. And he... He wasn't into it. <laughs> he, so he did. He did have chances. <laughs> he did. Yes. You know, he had a lot of different things that went on. One of the things, because his Renaissance was very much, um, you know, with uh, Quentin Tarantino. But prior to that, he had worked as well. But he, th- I think, this was one of the biggest scandalous kind of things. Was when he was in. He he lived in my neighborhood, Hell's Kitchen, in New York City. Yeah. When it was really Hell's Kitchen, and he would go, I'm like, I know that he lived on my strip, my old street, and it was. Right. But I'm sure he never ran into him. He was gone. He wasn't here. <laughs> Poor, but I would have loved to. Boy, I would have loved to have a drink with Lawrence Tierney. How cool would that be? At one of my dive joints. But anyway, um, he was in someone's apartment, a younger girl woman's apartment, and she allegedly, he said, she jumped out the window, and it was this whole. Did he push her out the window? Did she jump out the window? Did she just lean over and fall out the window? 
the woman that went out the window, I believe Larry was about, see, that was 1975. So Larry was about, you know, 55 years old. She was 25. Mm-hmm. And she, he was in her apartment. They were drinking. And she went out a fourth-story window. Uh, the, the police came. She, you know, she, died. she died, of course. She didn't mm-hmm. make it through surgery. And they questioned Larry, and he, all he would say was, you know, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out the window, and she went out the window. He was never charged. Uh, it, was, it was a big mystery of what happened. People I've spoken to that, that he spoke to, he never really said what happened. But what seems to have happened was there was some sort of fight between Tierney and a man who was either her pimp or drug dealer. And she was either knocked out the window during the fight or thrown out the window by the other person. Uh, this 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 comes from people that Larry had spoken to. He some people he said I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Other ones he would give hints. Um, but yeah, that, and that that was really the last time that Lawrence Tierney made the papers in the in the nineteen seventies was for that incident. When was he a handsome cab driver? He made the papers. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right about then. Yeah, that was that's that's another thing. Tierney, you know, when 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 the going got hot for him, or he had he had too many um, arrest warrants in L.A., he'd go to New York. When things got too hot in New York, he went to Europe, and he went he went to Europe for a number of years. Um, then he came back to New York, and he worked in construction. And of course, the press loved that. You want to find Lawrence Tierney's work in construction, but at the same time, he's getting some jobs and some commercials here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then somebody notices that he is driving a handsome carriage in Central Park. And that, that was shortly before the woman went out the window. But, yes, that made national headlines. Lawrence Tierney is, you know, from ham to handsome, from stardom to handsome. They, they made it seem like it was the biggest downfall. I in, know. Uh, and you said it life. was the only picture. I have to, the only picture you ever saw of him smiling. And he and he he spoke about it later. He he loved doing it. He had a, he had a great time as a handsome cab driver. He loved the horses. He loved the kids. He'd let them take the rain. Yeah, and that and that was another thing where he was always able to make his way through life. Whether he you know living in an abandoned building or whatever, or you know living in it. some dumpy room or yeah, he did he still it. Kept going, and, and you, then, know, you know, as you said, they were making it out like oh, he had to work like a regular human being like you know yep. how degrading right and he was happy it's like really you're out of you're out of the loop here peeps oh my god well, at the same so then you're looking at the same time that you know there's this parallel thing that's going on in 1971 he gets a role in um i think it's called uh, some good friends it was an Otto preminger movie with uh diane cannon hmm. he gets a role in that and his name above the credits you know, he get, he starts getting work in commercials. He he shows up in Andy Warhol's Bad. You know, uh, John Cassavetes, you know, puts him in glory. You know, that yeah. was that was another thing too. In this comeback, it wasn't just that here was a guy who was down and out and started getting some roles in television. He's getting roles, you know, from John Cassavetes, John Huston, John Sales. He was in James Cagney's final TV movie. You know, his his real comeback was in Norman Mailer's. Uh, tough guys don't dance with with Ryan O'Neill. So he he worked with really culturally significant people who wanted to work with him. Oh, and in the middle of this, in Philadelphia, he gets a role in Death of a Salesman. 
which is directed by George C. Scott. Wow. And starring Martin Balsam as Willie no- Loman. Uh, Lawrence Tierney played um, Willie's brother who comes to him in like in dream sequences. Well, of course, somebody on in that group gets really drunk and goes crazy and runs away before opening night. Not Lawrence Tierney, George C. Scott. <laughs> runs away. And so who takes over? But Arthur Miller himself takes wow. over the production. And so there's, you know, Lawrence Tierney's being directed by Arthur Miller. And so, you know, he, he and they all, people wanted to work with him. Well, he was good, and that was the shame of it, and, and I'm really happy for him. The big thing, which he really got introduced to a lot of the younger generation, was with Quentin Tarantino, who was, wasn't he, he was like a, he worked in a video store or something, and he yes, became, yeah. so was this his first film? This was his first, he, he had made a sort of a, not a student film, but a, a little independent thing when he was working at the video store, but this was his first film, yeah. And and so he's working with Lawrence Tierney on his first film, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs, and, and his career almost ended then because he got in a fight with Tierney. I mean, the thing was, uh, when 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 Tarantino wrote the script for Reservoir Dogs, he dedicated it to a bunch of his heroes at the top of the script. He said, mm-hmm. "I dedicate it to you know Jean Luc Godard and people like that," and he showed it to. Uh, C. Courtney Joyner, who was a, a screenwriter and, and, and director and, and actor, who was part of that, that same group. He, was, he had the same manager as Tarantino. And he read the script Reservoir Dogs, and he said, wow, uh, Quentin, you, you, I see you dedicated this to Lawrence Tierney. And Tarantino said, yeah, isn't that great? You know, Tierney's dead. He got shot in a whorehouse in Mexico, <laughs> and, he's, and he's dead. And, and Courtney said, no, no, he's not. He lives behind the library in Fairfax. I see him every week. And he said, what? And so it got to be that that he got to meet uh, Lawrence Tierney and cast him in his first film. Uh, the problem that that Tarantino had was he just he didn't know how to handle him. No, he put his hands on him, and he had to have respect. I mean, Tarantino has a humongous ego. I think he always had a very high ego, obviously. But Lawrence Tierney, you got to read the room. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to be touched. He's like, who's this kid? I don't think this is funny. You know, you, you, you have right. to learn as a director. He was too young to know really how to work the room of Lawrence Tierney, I think. Yeah, that, and that was it. And 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 he so he realized that Tierney was, was a problem. He put all of Tierney's scenes in the first week of, you know, mm-hmm. of probably a very short shooting schedule. And... He blew up at the, on, at the, on, on the last day, on that Friday. He blew up, and there was a confrontation. They had to be separated. And Tarantino thought his career was over. He thought he was going to lose the film because he, he didn't have the money. He fired Lawrence Tierney. Uh-huh. But, of course, they said right away, we don't have a budget here to replace him. We've already done a week of shooting. We can't replace the guy now. And Tierney thought, and uh, Tarantino thought that that was it. His career was over. But uh, Harvey Keitel, who started the movie as well and was also one of the producers, smoothed things over. And they managed to get through the shoot. I mean, that, that was a go on. I'll say that that be, that was a problem in in Tierney's later career, where you had people who wanted to work with him, from the executive producer of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine to the to the showrunner of The Simpsons. They all wanted Lawrence Tierney, and they all got warnings. Look, if Tierney comes, there's going to be trouble. He's going to need a minder. You've got to be you know you got to be careful with him. And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, who cares? It's Lawrence Tierney. I don't get to say I worked with him. 
And then he would wreak havoc on the set, and they'd say, how dare he wreak havoc on the set? <laughs> They're warned. They warned. It was Lawrence Tierney. <laughs> One of the things that got me mad is Tarantino said to him, and this was like Michael Madsen and Tim Roth were in it as well, right? And right. so Michael Madsen, you had a lot of quotes from him in the book. So uh, Tarantino says to Lawrence, don't drink. So what does Madsen and Roth do? They take him to a bar to see what would happen. <laughs> There you go. The devil's advocates here, right? I'm like, you creepy little crups. You know, (laughs) I was really PO'd. You know, really, you don't need that kind of thing. They didn't get it. And, oh, we hated him. I don't think Madsen hated him so much, but Tim Roth did. Probably beat him up or something. Yeah, Tim Tim, Tim Roth, who was, you know, an actor, a thespian. Yes, he was. And and, and, and Tarantino, who, you know, had such a hard time with, with Lawrence Tierney, was directing a segment of a film called Four Rooms. I think Alison Anders and Robert Rodriguez, another actor, were all did did a different segment of this film, which was based in a, in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And there was a bellhop and a night manager. Well, Tarantino's looking at this at the script, and he says, "You know what? I said I would never work with Lawrence Tierney again, but there's, nobody could play this role except Tierney. We need him as the night manager." So he brought the other directors together, and he said, "Look, I apologize in advance, but..." It's got to be Lawrence Tierney. No one could act this role better than Lawrence Tierney. And they all agreed. They said, yeah, let's, let's get him on this next film. And Tim Roth, who was playing the, the bellhop, said, I'm out. If Tierney's in, I'm out. And so he put the kibosh on it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so the Tierney didn't get to be in that, in that film. So Tim, Tim Roth hated him. And what? also just Quentin wouldn't, wouldn't talk to me for the book. I think he's still traumatized to this day. And the, the person who represents... Tim Roth and other actors on the film wouldn't let them speak to me unless Quentin spoke to me about the film. Oh, Only you. Michael Madsen was was the tough guy. He said, I, uh, he, uh, "It was an honor working with Lawrence Tierney." You know, <laughs> I <laughs> liked like, well, him, and you know, how dare Tim Roth when he was you know in on it? When oh, let's see what he'll do. They told him not to drink. Let's take him to a bar and buy him drinks and see what he's going to do. That's like really. That's like really. A bat. That wasn't nice. It's not funny. This man is an old alcoholic, you young bucks, you. you know? <laughs> I was like reading right. it mad. I was mad. I was mad at them. And um, that's probably the only time that happened, you know. I'm sure, because people get a kick out of it. There, there's like these, you know, they like to like stick the pen. Okay, let's see. Are we so tough when he drinks? Let's see. He, he, he. And then they see. Maybe you slugged you, Tim Roth, and you didn't like it. And I feel badly Tim Roth lost his son, so I'm sure he doesn't listen to my podcast. I know, that's but, uh, yes, I, yes. Yes, I felt very sad. His son was beautiful, beautiful boy. Um, and... Uh, but, you know, don't do that to someone who's drunk. I know somebody just had their 40th birthday party. I've known this guy. And his wife was there. He hasn't drunk. He was a, not, he would do shots occasionally, but mostly he would slam on the bruise, drink a lot of beer. So he hadn't been drinking for three years. On his 40th birthday, they went out to dinner, you know, and there were other friends there. And this guy, who I think is like, he's a worm, beyond worm. And I've, I don't know him, know him, but I know him through them. And he's like getting him shots and putting him in front of, come on, you're no fun anymore. Putting the shots in front of a guy who's been sober for three years. They're at a restaurant. It's not like, whoa, we're all looking bar. But you know what I mean? They're people that are like real creeps. They don't care. They don't think about it. They don't have to suffer the consequences, you know? So do something mean like that to Lawrence. Made me sad. The one thing Lawrence had going for him was his nephew, Michael Tierney. Michael 
was the son of Ed Tierney, who who died in I believe 1983. He lost his father early, mm-hmm. and he sort of you know he reached out to Lawrence Tierney. Tierney you know reached out to him, and he helped Lawrence. Lawrence helped him, and he he made sure that 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 Tierney had a place to live. He accompanied him to auditions and accompanied him on shoots, et cetera. And really, you know, took care of I his liked him. uncle for like yeah. the last 15 years. St. Michael, they people call yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> I really am so glad that Lawrence had that. I was yeah. shocked in the book that he did have a daughter. I didn't know that. Did he ever uh, acknowledge her? Did they ever have any conversation? Did they ever have anything like that? Like, yes. I mean, yeah. he, he had a daughter. Who you know, the, the woman that, that he impregnated had the daughter, and then she wound up marrying his younger brother Ed, oh. and she was raised as Ed's child, oh. and 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 Michael's sister. Mm-hmm. Um, in later years, friends have told me that yes, they 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 came to you know an understanding. They they weren't you know lovey dovey, but there were times when she joined them at a at Bordner's Bar and had pizza with them, et cetera, and they, they got along. Well, that's good. Yeah. I think that's good. And, you know, he had that, and I'm, I'm so glad he had his nephew because you could tell, you know, his, his he had a handful. His uncle was a handful, but yeah. he loved him. And you could tell by what you wrote and his quotes in there that he loved him. Also, um, he... He did so many shows. I couldn't believe all the things he did. I had no idea. You know, I don't watch these shows, so I wouldn't know. The one thing, he became a shoplifter. He, he was a public urinator. He liked to go pee-pee in public. <laughs> I don't know if he liked to, but he, he had uh, prostate problems, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was all part of his unhinged, you know, Larry not caring about anything. Love you. <laughs> One of his friends, a director, told me, said, you know, you could, we could walk into a, a men's room at a, at a theater and there could be 12 empty stalls there and he'll just walk through the door and do it out in the street. He just would prefer to do that. <laughs> well, I got to be me. I got to be free, right? So That was all part of that wild force of nature. He was a character. Theory. Also, um, the Seinfeld thing, that was funny. He was going to play, he played one episode as Elaine, the, the woman in Seinfeld's dad. I yeah, Julia Lewis' yeah. dad. He had he he was brought in to play your father in one role right. uh, in in a sorry in, in one episode called the jacket and it's a classic Seinfeld episode he plays this very scary character and he was funny now of course he didn't understand he didn't get the humor he didn't get the Seinfeld I don't humor. think he's funny at all he didn't think yeah, Seinfeld was funny <laughs> Jack Benny yeah, this guy is yeah. funny uh, but he did the role and and he was great in it but then on that. On the last day of shooting, they're on the, the, the apartment set, and he's standing over by in the kitchen area. Everybody else is on the stage, and he reaches over to a butcher block and takes out a knife. They're an actual like knife, and he sp- puts it in his jacket. Well, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Jason Alexander notice, and they're like, oh, whoa, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. But Jerry Seinfeld sees it as well and walks over to him and says, uh, so, uh, Larry, uh, what's with the knife? And Tierney's embarrassed. He's been caught. And he says, oh, well, I just, uh, this was in case I had to stab you. And then he raised the knife <laughs> over his head and then did the psycho thing that, and pretended to stab Jerry Seinfeld. And everybody looked at each other and said, get this guy out of here. Uh, we scared. We scared. We scared. We're scared. And he would have had, you know, he would have had a recurring role. And uh, what do you think you know. he grabbed the knife for? I mean, you can't obviously know what's in his head, but boy, oh, boy, I don't know. Maybe Apparently he did he think did it was funny. 
He had a shoplifting bug. Apparently, one of one of the, the people, um, a film historian, David Del Val, who Larry was living with at the time, because even though he had his own place, he just liked to stay over people's just places. Just couldn't be alone. Yeah. Yeah. He said that Larry was was stealing stuff out of the office all week, <laughs> taking paper clips, pipe staplers, just because. A cheap thrill, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it was a cheap thrill. He liked, he liked to do the heist. Teddy Lamar. <laughs> the heist never ends. You start doing them in the 40s, it never ends. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Uh, Hedy Lamar was doing some heisting in her later years in Florida. Um, you know, it just happens, I guess. It's just some sort of thrill or, or something, compulsion. Who knows? But yeah. the knife thing is kind of weird. If I'm going, Unless you're going to be doing um, like a Benihana, <laughs> Benihana kind right. of like chop, 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 dinner party or something. I can't imagine yeah, he stealing He something that. waiting at home. He had, he had a nice chicken at home or something or turkey. Who knows? I'm going to cough, everybody. I can cough. So it's ironic. He ate drank and brawled into his old age. He still brawled. The funny story is the Eddie Muller story. Why don't you tell that one? I love that one. Uh, well, I don't know what kind of language I can use, but basically... Well, Eddie was... doesn't swear. He's been on this podcast. He can't swear because okay. someone listens in on us when we talk. Oh. I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't swear anyway. But this was at the Egyptian theater. There was a tribute to the director, Robert Wise, who had worked with Lawrence Tierney. And um, I don't know if it was Born to Kill. Sorry, but he, he, he directed Tyranny in one, in one of his It was Born films. to Kill. Yeah, yeah Born to Kill, yeah. Uh, Tyranny showed up unannounced, and Michael, his his nephew, was not around to escort him. And he, he realized later that Lawrence went on his own, showed up at the Egyptian theater, uh, and immediately, you know, caused trouble, raised havoc, you know, made, made a scene. And he recognized uh, him. Eddie recognized him right away, and Eddie Eddie went over and you know, helped him because he was he was infirm. He was eighty years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Helped him, you know, helped him get a seat. And they sat in the back of the theater mm-hmm. in one in one of the last rows. And in the middle of the of, of the screening, he says, "Get me a cup." <laughs> get me a cup. And so Eddie went over to and got him a um, Prince of Egypt cup because that Disney film had recently premiered there. <laughs> and Lawrence stood up and. Uh, dropped his pants, and proceeded to urinate into the cup in, in, in the theater. Eddie was holding the cup. And Eddie's holding the cup. <laughs> what a good citizen. <laughs> it was a quiet part of the movie. And there just happened to be a woman sitting in, in front of him who was distracted by the sound. Eddie was saying, please don't turn around. Please don't turn around. Please don't turn around. And she turned around, and Lawrence looked at her and shouted, hey, what's the matter? Ain't you ever seen one before? <laughs> And uh, well, that, think, became, that became his, you know, his the eulogy to, to Lawrence Tierney. There, yeah. he will not go quietly," said uh, said Eddie Muller. No, he would not, and he did not. And his brothers died twenty years before Lawrence. Um, and he's, you know, what they lived, they were like a Pat Boone's compared to Lawrence, but they died twenty years. You know, it's nature, nurture. You know, yeah. drink, not drink, eat healthy, croak early. You know, you know, it's all luck of the dice, right? You don't know. But that's what Michael, that's what Michael says, well, you know, he outlived them by you know twenty five years. What you know, which is a better way to live? <laughs> I mean, maybe he, maybe he knew the secret there. Yeah, I guess you know, doing that, and you you kind of you pickle yourself, sort of. You're sort of like in, you know, yeah. like in a in one of those jars. But he ended up. Where was he when he died? Was he in a hospital? And how old? And was his nephew with him he was three weeks before his 83rd birthday wow he he was in a care home uh on beverly boulevard in Mm -hmm. hollywood 
Michael had, you know, through his, all of his different insurances, Michael had gotten him into several rest homes. Michael was taking care of him. And uh, Michael's mother, who was the mother of Lawrence's daughter, mm-hmm. was there and helped him as well through his final days. Did he, he in the end? Go he on. did go quietly in the end. He did, you know, he was he had pneumonia. He didn't die of any kind of liver trouble or anything. That's amazing, else. isn't it? Yeah, it was congestive heart failure, um, and he lived to be eighty-two, almost made it to his eighty-third birthday. And, and it's I, funny, what, what this, one of his films was a film that 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 Michael did. It was a he, Michael, you know, put all his money together, got all the money that he saved. Lawrence loaned him some money from you know, the residual checks that Lawrence didn't even bother with. You know, friends would go over to Lawrence's apartment. <laughs> And underneath a tomato can, fifteen thousand dollars, you know, for reservoir dogs that Lawrence didn't even notice he had. Oh man! Um, but he, but he did he did a, a low budget film called Evicted with, that Lawrence had a, a role in, and it was it, it was very a very poignant role where he where Lawrence kind of with the character that Lawrence played looked back at his life and said, you know, hey, I've I've done it all, you know, and and he listed off many of the jobs that Lawrence Tierney in real life had, and said it's going to you know it's going to take a mighty wind to blow this oak over. Well, he was he was an amazing dude, amazing, yeah. and he did live that. And um, was he, he was with so it tough. till the end? He was totally aware. It was just the um... yes, for the most for the most part, he was. And I don't know about the final the final days. I know that um, Courtney Joyner, who what, befriended Lawrence in in about 1985 and was friends with him through his life, said that he had heard that that Lawrence thought he was going to be having lunch that next day Aww. with. And, and he, he, he was glad to hear that. But it's funny, you know, he was such a tough guy to the end that one of his final roles was in the movie Armageddon, where Bruce Willis played the toughest oil driller in the world, that he was so tough he was going to, you know, go up into space and, and drill into a, an asteroid before it hits Earth. <laughs> and they had to have somebody who was tougher than Bruce Who was tougher than Bruce Well, we've got to get Lawrence Tierney to play the father. And so... They kept calling him and saying, "Look, we want you. It's going to be a one-day scene. We have a great scene, you and Bruce Willis." And he's like, "Nah, I don't want it. Nah, I'd rather sit here and watch TV." No, <laughs> and 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 Michael saying, "Look, Larry, it's like one day. They're going to pay you like you know fifteen thousand dollars for a few hours of work. Just go do it." No, I, I'm not going to do it. Ah, forget it. And they finally they had a a young a woman a production assistant call and say, "Please, Larry, it'll be really fun. Please." And he's like, "Well, all right, if you ask, I'll do it." And uh, and so he agreed and he, he did it. The scene was uh, was cut out of the film, which Lawrence said is probably going to be cut out of the film anyway. But they included it in the director's cut that came out in DVD a couple of years later. So that did you that, see it? That, oh yeah, you can see it. You can see it online too. It's a it's almost like a Godfather, where it's it's just Lawrence Tierney and Bruce Willis is sort of you know on his knees in front of his his dad and they're they're talking before. Before Bruce Willis uh, heads off into outer space, I just you know I have to say I really liked your book very much. I love Lawrence Tierney. I, as a human being, felt empathy for him. I don't think he's bad to the bone by any means. He's bad, but not bad to the bone. He he had a he was a mushy guy. Maybe he he wanted to cover that mushiness because it's he's being a sissy. God only knows. I can get into my you know Sigmund Freud. Things which I, I, don't, I don't like his analysis. I, I'd go another route. But <laughs> I, I always try to get into it. Like, why? Yeah. But yeah. I love him. I love him. And I love the book so much, Bert. I enjoyed it so much. 
Well, you know, one thing that his friends told, like, you know, he lived next door to the screenwriters, um, Larry Karaszewski and Scott Alexander. Uh-huh. And they were career. They went on, they, they wrote Ed Wood. They, they did the, they did the people versus OJ Simpson. They produced and wrote that for, uh, that, that, that the miniseries in Fox, uh-huh. they did big eyes, etc. And when they were first starting their career as writers, Tierney lived next door and he would burst in on them and, you know, and he would act out things and they, ha- and they were one of the people that were young guys who were starting out, who, you know, got to meet Lawrence Tierney, experienced the wildness. And now they're, you know, running Hollywood today. And all of them, you know, to a person, they all said in those later years, I never saw him drunk. If he saw me drinking too much, he would warn me that you're only going to wind up in one of two places. You're going to wind up in the hospital or jail, if not dead. And they said he was incredibly loyal and incredibly intelligent. And they all said that. They said, this, you know, this guy could do a New York Times crossword puzzle in 10 minutes. I believe he, it. He could, he could quote, you know, he could quote Shakespeare. He could quote, you know, poetry. He could do poetry in French. He was a very intelligent guy. Of course, you know he was funny, and he and he was a you know down to earth guy. Yeah, a loose cannon. Well, but he was you know he was a very influential character to a lot of people. I think that's great, and I really did enjoy the book. And what what thing? Okay, I'm going to start asking this of every author because I should. What was the thing that surprised you most about Lawrence when you were researching the book? What surprised me the most from when I first began it was that it first to me as a, you know as a journalist and I worked in tabloid television et cetera this was a this was a tabloid tale of a you know of, of a wild man et cetera what surprised me was to find out that although it was a tragic story it was in many ways a heroic story of uh, you know a, a person that you know didn't give up. That you know, despite the issues that he had, both from within and from without, he managed to keep going and carved a real alternative history of Hollywood. You know, through his life. I think it is amazing. Yeah, I was surprised at how influential he is because, again, it wasn't just that he that he kept going and that he kept working, but I mean, he was like on every major television drama. I heard he was the last person in Hill Street Blues. His was the last yeah, face you saw. Yeah, he he and uh, he and Dennis Franz had the final scene. He had the last words and the and the last thing there. He did. He was in L.A. Law, Remington Steel, Hunter. He was in two <laughs> different versions of Star Trek. You know, and and then there, you can find it. Uh, you got you have to dig online to find it. But there was a show called called Tales from the Dark Side. Oh yeah. And he and Phyllis Diller play exorcists. <laughs> and it's, sort of, it's like a comedy. And they're, and they're, they're husband and wife exorcists. And it's like, you, when you see the range of, you know, of, of what he did as well, it's like, wait a minute. I thought he was rediscovered in 1992 by Quentin Tarantino. It's like, no, no, he, he was out there. He was, you know, he, he, he was in films. He was in, he was in Pritzi's Honor. You know, he was in, he was in Tough Guys Don't Dance. He was in, he was in Airplane. I'm mean, not Airplane. He was in The Naked Gun with, with Leslie, Leslie Nielsen. Nielsen. Yeah. And, and, and a scene with O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Ironic to the max. So it's great. He was, he, was, he was out there. He was cool, too. I just think he was. He was a survivor, like you, know, yeah. like you said. You know, you never know. How do you live? Everybody lives good. A lot of people live long when they live well, but a lot of people don't. So look at yeah. Lawrence. Uh, lived his brothers by decades. Who knows? Yeah. You can never tell. Anyway, he is a fascinating 
individual. I enjoyed the book. Everyone, check out Lawrence Tierney. And Bert, you did a really good job. Um, I liked it very much. It's called Lawrence Tierney, Hollywood's Real Life Tough Guy. And it is written by my guest, Bert Kearns. Correct. Thank you. So thank you. And when you guys do your other book and you get that out about other people dropping dead on stage or on stage, please come on. I'd love it. Uh, stay healthy, please. I will. I ain't going to croak anywhere. Uh, okay. Anyway, thank you so much for your darling. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Till next time. Adios, everybody. Bye. Thank you, Bert. Hey, thanks a lot.